Welcome to Calvary Chapel Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us this week for Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 15, with Pastor John King. He is risen. All right. Good morning, everybody. Good to be here today. Good morning, online viewers. I want to announce today that I pray that next Easter, we don't need so many local online viewers. That is all. But we greet you. And for those who are far away, again, we welcome you. Now, whether you're a guest or a regular attender here at Calvary Chapel, you are most aware of the rapid changes that have gone on in our society through the past 12 months. Last year, our Easter service was strictly virtual. You guys remember that. And by then, we realized that the two weeks to flatten the curve was a pipe dream, wasn't it? In fact, the story has changed several times since then. Every form of media has been used to communicate information, guidelines, and restrictions. Even though we resumed our in-person services last May, things have not been quite the same. And you know what? They never will be the same. No matter how and when we emerge from this so-called global pandemic, the only constant change in life, or the only constant in life, is changed. That's been quoted since the 5th century B.C. The only constant in life is change. Nothing ever remains the same, except for one thing. Today it's time once again to turn our eyes and ears to the greatest hope that a person could ever possibly hear. That in Jesus Christ, you can have an eternal promise from God. You see, the story presented to us in the Bible is still the same. There's been no updates. There's been no revisions. There's been no modifications that would change or alter the original writings. The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 13.8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and guess what? Forever. God desires for you to be firmly established in His grace. He desires that you're able to weather all of the storms of life. And of course to bring glory to His name. That's the whole purpose for us. We worship God. We serve God. We're redeemed by God. All to bring, bring glory to His name. And this great story still contains the most important information, like I said, that all of mankind truly needs. We cannot judge a book by its cover. It's the contents that matter. So may I remind you that you and I were created in the image and likeness of God Almighty. And God intends that we, ha we should have eternal fellowship with Him. There's only one problem. Sin entered the world through Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden thousands of years ago. This resulted in spiritual and physical death because they believed the lie of the serpent and they ate the forbidden fruit, 
which was the only restriction God had placed on them. Think of that for a minute. But because of their original sin, every human being born to this very day inherits the same sin nature. That innocent child is born into sin. But God would not let mankind out of his eternal plan. He wasn't going to allow that to happen. He provided a path to redemption in such a way that his holy nature could not be violated. A way to satisfy the just penalty of sin and his holy wrath against it. While at the same time providing a path to having our relationship with him restored. No religious works or good deeds could possibly bridge that gap. Only God can make this happen. John 3.16, verses 16, excuse me, 3.16 through 18. Oftentimes we only read the first verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Today we'll look briefly at the last 48 hours of Jesus' life and the eternal consequences of his death on the cross. And we will conclude with the most dramatic and glorious miracle in all of Scripture. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. With this event stands all of our faith and all of the foundations of Christianity. Our claim to Jesus Christ and God being the only way to eternal life stands or falls on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Today we're going to read from Matthew chapter 28 verses 1 through 15 if you'd like to turn there with me. Matthew 28 verses 1 through 15. I will read and you follow. Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and indeed he is going before you into Galilee, where you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, and ran, ran to bring his disciples' word. In verse 9, and as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice! So they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. And Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. 
Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Verse 11. Now while they were going, behold, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all the things that had happened. And when they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers, saying, Tell them, his disciples came at night and stole him away while we slept. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will appease him and make you secure. So they took the money and they did as they were instructed. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. Father, we thank you for this great event. We thank you, Lord, that we have been given the opportunity once again to come and to be reminded of your truth. Lord, to restore that firm foundation that's always been there, but maybe our hearts and minds, given the world we live in, given the times we have. Maybe, Lord, our faith has been shaken. Maybe our fears have overcome the reality of the hope that we have in you. Lord, maybe we've fallen into sin and we've been separated from your love and we don't sense your presence. We don't sense that we're walking with you as you desire. Father, would you come today? Holy Spirit, would you come and bring conviction to our hearts, assurance to our minds? Lord, would you help us to see once again with eyes and hear with ears that testify that Jesus Christ has indeed risen from the grave. Thank you, Lord. Go before us now. We pray all this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Looking back the last couple of days, if we were in Jesus' time, we'll see that on Thursday, at the beginning with sunset, which is called the 14th of Nisan, which is the first month of the Jewish calendar, they had the Feast of Passover. They combined this feast with the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It would last seven days, a whole week. Now keep in mind that Jesus was still a member of the Jewish church at this time. And he observed holidays and festivals of the Jews. In fact, the Gospels show him to have been present at practically every one of the great feasts since entering in his ministry. But this Passover was going to be distinguished as no Passover before or since by the fulfillment of the type and prophecy in the person of Jesus, who is the true Lamb of God. And during this time, we read in Matthew 26, verses 3 and 5, that the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders of the people assembled at the palace of the high place, of the high priest, who was called Caiaphas. And they plotted to take Jesus by trickery and to kill him. But they said, Oh, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. In other words, they just wanted to do away with him quickly and quietly if they could. Now by Thursday, they began to celebrate the Passover feast and the unleavened bread. During these times, the Jews had completed their conspiracy. Judas make ready to betray the Lord Jesus. And Jesus celebrates the Passover, which is what we have now as our communion. We do it in remembrance of me, he says. But he celebrated the Passover for the last time. 
And then he suffered the agony of death at Gethsemane in his prayer. He's betrayed. He was taken captive. He was brought before Caiaphas for trial. He was sentenced and led while Peter denies the Lord three times. He's led away. By Friday, we see that he has been forsaken for our acceptance. On Jesus' final night, again, a supposed friend betrayed him, Judas. Three of his closest disciples fell asleep at their post in the Garden of Gethsemane. And all of them deserted him. Yet the abandonment by his friends is incomparable to the abandonment by his father. On the cross, Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is the cry of the damned. The cry of the forsaken. The cry of one crushed under the full weight of God's holy wrath. It is the despair every one of us deserves to express forever because of our sin. Yet Jesus was forsaken so that we don't have to be. He was rejected for our acceptance. He was cast out for our welcome. The authentic Christian life, writes one author, is one that is re-humbled by this time and time again. On the very next day, Saturday, Matthew 27, verses 62 and 66, tell us what happened. It says, On the next day, which followed the day of preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees gathered together to Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember while he was still alive how that deceiver said, After three days I will rise. Therefore, Command that the tomb be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away. And say to the people, he is risen from the dead. So the last deception will be worse than the first, they said. Pilate said to them, okay, you have a guard. Go your way. Make it as secure as you know how. So that they went to the tomb and they made it secure sealing the stone and setting the guard. Pilate granted their request, giving them a Roman guard. A Roman guard normally was made up of 16 soldiers. Roman soldiers were well known for their discipline. The penalty for negligence while on duty or falling asleep or abandoning their post was death, was execution. These men were not going to let any band of disciples come and take the body of Jesus. Notice too that Pilate ordered the Jewish leaders to post the soldiers at the tomb to make it as secure as you know how. This was in both parties' mutual interest. So they took the soldiers to the tomb and they placed a seal across the gap between the stone and the outer wall of the tomb. And they posted the guard before the tomb. These men would be relieved at regular intervals throughout Saturday and Sunday. Monday would be the fourth day. And then it would be too late for anyone to attempt to fulfill Jesus' prophecy about his resurrection. When he said, I will rise on the third day. See, man's schemes will try to thwart God's plans. 
powered by the devil. These scribes and Pharisees who should have known better, who should have known that this was a Messiah. But here we have in our text today, we start with verses 1 through 4 where we see the empty tomb. Despite the stone and the seal and the watch that was placed, the tomb is empty. In verse 1 we read, Now after the Sabbath, Saturday would have been, as the first day of the week began to dawn. This first day of the week is now what we call Sunday. This resurrection morning is the foundation for the church's selection of Sunday as the new day of worship. From then on it would be called the Lord's Day. And we notice the two women, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, who came and see the, to see the tomb. Now the evening prior, these same two women sat outside and they watched Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus place Jesus' body in this tomb. They watched from a, a distance. And they saw them roll a large stone over the entrance. Matthew writes that they came to see. In the Greek, this, this means to comp contemplate. This doesn't mean just simply to come and gawk. They came to see. That means to observe in order to understand. This is an important point. It perhaps explains why the women were more prepared to believe the miracle of the resurrection than some of the apostles who at first would not believe. We all think of maybe doubting Thomas. So they came to see, but that is, they came to understand. They came to care as well. Mark says that they came to anoint Jesus' body. These two women are an example to all of us in taking care of the bodies of our loved ones. And they also knew exactly which one was Jesus' tomb. Therefore, no one can claim that the resurrection was a case of mistaken identity. Now after the Sabbath, one writer put it this way, Jesus was in the grave on the Sabbath. The first time in his life, he was dead in the grave. Unable to observe the laws governing the great season of the Passover and the Sabbath. He was dead. Therefore, the law and its observances had no authority over him. This is symbolic of the identification believers gain in Christ. When a person believes in Jesus Christ, God identifies the person with Christ. In particular, with the death of Christ. God counts you and I as having died with Christ. Therefore, in Christ's death, believers become dead to the law. Now, Matthew, here in verse 2, starts to give us sort of a flashback to what actually happened before the ladies arrived and what the guards would have seen. Notice he says in verse 2, And behold, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven. That word for is a conjunction. And what that does, it says 
Really, it's the same thing as saying, because this angel was sent from heaven, there was an earthquake. And what did he do? He came back and he rolled back the stone from the door and then he sat on it. Mark tells us what the two women saw when they arrived. Very early in the morning, Mark 16, verses 2 through 4, you see. Very early in the morning on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. And they said among themselves, who, who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? Remember, they sat there the night before. They knew this heavy stone couldn't be moved. And they're thinking, well, who's going to move this stone for us? And surely they must have said, well, well the guards aren't going to move it for us, are they? Maybe they will. Maybe they'll do us a favor. But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, for it was very large. The stone would have taken several men, and it was nothing for this mighty being. It was nothing for this angel to come down and to just simply move that stone out of the way and to break the seal. And of course, the angel came down, he rolled the stone out of the way, and then he, he sat on it. You can imagine he sat on it, had his arms crossed like this. <laughs> this symbolized God's conquest over all barriers to his will. You see, when God wants something done, it's going to happen. The angel sat waiting for the women to arrive because he was on a very specific mission. He was sent by God. Verse 3 talks about his appearance. It reminds us of the transfiguration that we just learned about or talked about two weeks ago. His countenance or his outward appearance was like lightning. It was bright, dazzling. It was shining. Again, even the best Ray-Bans with the special coating wouldn't much help you in this situation. And his clothing was white as snow. Why? Because his body was shining through his clothing. Much the same as our description of Jesus at the transfiguration. The angel represented the glory of heaven and the God of heaven. And notice in verse 4, the guard shook for fear of him. Now, aside from the fact that the seal was broken and the stone was moved, you know, this is a serious problem for this guard. This angel's appearance caused them to have their minds shook. It wasn't like, you know, we see the cartoon where they're shaken in fear, you know, shaking in their boots or whatever. No, their minds were shook. Their minds were agitated with fear. That's what, they, that's what we're really talking about. They stood in fear of him. And they were so scared that they became like dead men. They passed out. Likely they fainted. They would have been terrified about the fact that they were to witness an illegal act of breaking the Roman seal. They were likely paralyzed from fear. Remember, they knew. They failed in their mission. They would be executed. No questions asked. The part, the guard, one writer put it this way. He said, the guards probably got up and fled as soon as they collected their wits. As soon as they saw what happened, they're like, we are out of here. They did not seem to be present when the angel or Jesus spoke to the women. Because when we see the writer, we see the story unfold, it's, they're, they're not really uh, making notice now of the soldiers. And later on we'll be told that they went a separate way. You know, some ran to tell the apostles, the ladies ran to tell the apostles, but the guards ran to tell the scribes and the Pharisees. Now I have a question. 
Do you think that the angel needed to open the tomb for Jesus to come out? Was it required for the angel to actually come out and roll that stone away for our Lord and Savior to rise and come out? Of course not. But it was important. Why would God choose to do it this way? Well, the reason is to show that the empty grave to the entire world, we're still talking about it, folks. 2,000 years later, we're still talking about this miracle. To give absolute and undeniable evidence of the fact of the resurrection had taken place in spite of the stone, the seal, and the watch. One man wrote this, he said, When God wants to carry out His will with regard to the salvation of mankind, no sinful man, no enemy may resist Him. The resurrection of Jesus was the seal and final proof for the full atonement gained for the whole world. And all the efforts of the Jews and of Satan to hinder Him were unavailing. It wasn't going to stop God's power. You see, the power of God is awesome. It's terrifying. The guards were told that they would guard this dead body against men who would try to steal it. And they were totally unprepared and unable to stand against the power of God here by His messenger, the angel. This is a strong message for every unbeliever. If you still haven't made up your mind for Jesus Christ, you're still kind of on the fence about who He is. Keep in mind, Romans 1.4 says, speaking about God and the Son of Power, it says, and declared to be, Jesus to be declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness. How? By the resurrection from the dead. Undeniable proof that this happened. And this is how God's power is manifest. Now back to the present. We have the message of the angel in verses 5 through 8. The message of the angel. He was sent to deliver. Not only to roll the tomb away and to make, give them access to the tomb, but he was also sent to say this. Notice it says, but the angel answered. You know, here they were in the sight and he knew their minds were you know, spinning, and, but the angel answered. They had to have been thinking a lot in their minds about what is going on here. And he said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. You see, they wouldn't need to make use of all the embalming spices that they'd brought to final and finish Jesus' preparation. Now Luke tells us that there were two men. Two men who stood by them in shining garments. So apparently there were many angels who were all about the tomb. And they were surrounding the area attending to Christ. They were joying and rejoicing, joyfully rejoicing over what God had done. You know, the angels, uh, they're present with us even now. They look upon us. The scripture tells us that the angels look upon us who gather in his name, who repent of their sins, who come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And they're like an audience because they cannot believe that you and I would come before God who we cannot see. And they are a part of this. And they love to be here. And so they would be surrounding this joyous event. But notice that they appeared, according to Luke's writing, as men. They were messengers of God. We see this often in the scriptures. 
But he said, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. You see, the angel assured them of his knowledge of their condition. They had experienced quite a lot over the past few days. You can only imagine. For the last 48 hours and even the week leading to the Passover, the incredible drama of being present for the Lord's crucifixion and all the things that went on before and his betrayal and all the things that we see in our scriptures. And they were just, by that time, you know how Sunday comes? Sometimes you're just totally drained. Especially those of you who work hard through the week. Some of you work six days a week. Sunday is the only day that you get to rest. And you're faithful to come to church. And I am thankful for that. But, you know, after all of that, he says, do not be afraid. You see, Jesus would forever be known as the crucified one. 1 Corinthians 1.23, Paul says, But we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews a stumbling block, and to the Greeks foolishness. If he's nothing else to you, maybe you acknowledge that he was indeed crucified, and that he's known for that. But he goes on to say something very important in verse 6. He is not here. He's not here. For he is risen. He's not here. Where is he? He's risen. He's awakened. Come and see. Come and see the place where the Lord lay. Offering undeniable proof. Remember, the ladies saw the tomb where Jesus was placed. They were eyewitnesses to him being placed in that tomb the night prior. Now you might say, well, I wasn't one of those ladies. I wasn't there present. How can I know? Well, I'll ask each one of you personally. You should be able to attest as a believer that you witnessed the Lord's death and his resurrection. You should be a clear witness because the word of God has spoken it to you. You can see as though you were an eyewitness because God's Holy Spirit lives within you. Somebody says, well, explain that one to me. Well, sometimes we can't explain it. God said it, and I know that it's true. We often say, I know that I know that I know. Jesus, was. they reminded that he said, he is not here for he is risen as he said. Remember, as he said, Jesus told them this was going to happen. We've been going through the book of Mark. We've been talking about it. You know, where we are in the book of Mark right now, he's just now trying to get their minds wrapped around the fact that this was going to happen. And the, the angel says, look, he's not here. He's written as he said. His word is true and faithful. And because you are his, you can say the same thing. Romans 8.16 says this, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Amen? Amen. <laughs> amen. That's, a, that's an amen right there. Indeed. David Guzik writes about this argument, you know, that can happen, this intellectual thing that can happen, Okay. He says, there are several examples in the Bible of people being resuscitated before this event. The widow's son in the days of Elijah, we had Lazarus. Each of these 
was resuscitated from death. But none of them was resurrected. Each of them was raised in the same body they died in and raised from the dead to eventually die again. Resurrection isn't just living again. It is living again in a new body based on our old body, perfectly suited for life in eternity. Jesus was not the first one brought back from the dead, but he was the first one resurrected. You might say, well, why wouldn't we be afraid, Mr. Angel, after all that we've seen? Why wouldn't we be afraid? Well, he gave him three reasons not to be afraid. First of all, God knows the person who is seeking after the Messiah. God knows your heart if you're seeking after Jesus. They came to honor him. He knows the movement of every heart. The person who seeks diligently shall find. Matthew 7, 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. The second reason why the ladies and you and I have no reason to be afraid was that Christ had been crucified to reconcile all who seek after him to God. 2 Corinthians 5.15 reads, And he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. And finally, another reason not to be afraid. Christ has now risen from the dead, and he has conquered death. When Paul referred back to the promise that was given to Abraham in Romans 4, verses 24 and 25, he said this, but also for us, the same promise. It, the promise, shall be imputed to us who believe in him, who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses, and who was raised because of our justification. You see, the fact that Jesus was risen from the dead, that promise was given a long time ago, and that's what makes it, that's what seals the deal, if you will. So notice how the angel helps these ladies kind of put two and two together. In other words, he said, Jesus said it was going to happen, and now they would see it with their own eyes. This was what prepared them for the instructions to follow. He told them what was going to happen. And they saw with their own eyes that the tomb was empty. And so now he gives them instructions. He says, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And indeed, he is going before you into Galilee. Now that they've been convinced by their own observation. He also gives them in the details of his instruction, he says, go quickly. You know, the time is to get the word out. The time is now. Not tomorrow, not next week. The time is now. They would be tempted to stay in the presence of the angels, just like we would be. I mean, I would want to stay there and just be amazed by this thing that's going on. And these angels that are present, I mean, I'd want to ask them questions. I'd want to do it. But the angel says, no, go quickly. And do what? Tell his disciples. Because why? The disciples, remember, they were scattered. They were fearful and they were grief-stricken. Peter was dealing with this, uh, this you know, unconscionable guilt. 
he was dealing with the fact that he betrayed the Lord. And the angel says, you go, you go tell those disciples right now. What, did he, what were they to tell him? That he is risen from the dead. What better news? What better news for his disciples? And then the angel reminds him of another of Jesus' promises. See, Jesus' promises, we need to cherish those. We need to remember those. We need to be reminded of them. And he said, he is going before you into Galilee and there you will see him. See, Jesus said he would rise and he also said he would be seen. Earlier in Matthew 26, verse 32, he told them, he says, but after I've been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Now, you might think that they just, you know, that when they scattered and they were fearful and they, they saw Jesus, they saw Jesus being taken away and eventually crucified, you would, you would think that that would be the one thing that they would hold on to. Say, no, Lord, you said you would. You would rise again. You would meet us in Galilee. But apparently they needed to be reminded right away. And so quickly. And then he says, he finally, the angels, the mission is complete for the angel. He says, behold, I have told you. It's as if to say, the word of the Lord, you know, is spoken. The angel has completed his divine mission. Hebrews 2.2 2 says that for the word spoken through angels is proved steadfast. It's proven itself. And here it does once again. So today, you and I, we have the word of God. We have our instruction manual. It's used to... Re- Remember his promises and to obey his commands. And so when it comes to telling others, can you and I say with Paul this? Can, can, can we, are we going to be able to stand before the Lord as Paul surely has and said in Acts 20, verses 26 and 27? He says, Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. His instructions to the ladies to go tell the disciples remains with us today. Go tell others. Go tell those who don't know Jesus. Who don't know that there is good news. It's our, it's incumbent upon us. God's given us our marching orders. Next we see the appearance of Jesus in verses 8 and 10. It says, so they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples' word. Now they didn't need to be told twice, unlike you and I. (laughs) We aren't told twice. We're told over and over again what our responsibility is. Of course, we, we can't accomplish God's work apart from the presence of the Holy Spirit in and through us. But notice what these ladies were doing. They ran to bring his disciples' word. In other words, they were moving in obedience. When we move in obedience, things start to happen. And as they went to tell his disciples in verse 9, Jesus met them. You see, when you're moving in obedience. You know, I prayed earlier that maybe some of us have been separated from the Lord. We feel it's kind of dry in our faith. We feel like something's put us apart from God. Life isn't working out and we don't sense God. Well, here we see that when you and I are moving in obedience, what happens? Jesus comes to meet us. And what does he say? Here we see rejoice, but I like the King James Version. It says, all 
Hail. This is a very joyful greeting. And you can just imagine Jesus, the risen Lord, and these are the first two people that he sees. Mary and Mary Magdalene. And he's like, all hail, rejoice. <laughs> you know, just a day or two ago, he is laying on a cross, bearing our sins. And now it's, it's been finished and he is rejoicing with them. So they came and they held him by the feet, by his feet, and they worshiped him. You see, when you're walking in obedience to the Lord, and you come upon the Lord, and you're, you're with him, and you sense his presence, what do you want to do? You want to worship him. You want to praise him. You want to hold on to him as tight as you can. Oh, yes. When you and I are moving in obedience to God, we are now set free to worship him. Amen? It's, so, it's good. It's so good. Verse 10, Jesus says to them, again, like the angel said, do not be afraid. Here we have gentle Jesus. The one who has the power to defeat death, which is our greatest enemy, is gentle and loving and kind to those who, love, who he loves. He says in Matthew eleven twenty-eight and 30, he says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So he says, do not be afraid. And he, again, he sends them on their way because they just wanted to stay there again. Uh, you and I, I mean, we want to stay in that place and we cherish those times with the Lord, but he still wants to send us out to do something. He still has a work for us. He says, go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee and there they will see me. You know, as if they hadn't heard enough already. They've seen the empty tomb and now the risen Lord. So he repeats the instructions. Notice how often God uses repetition to get through to us. Go and tell. How about you, my friends? How is it for you? Do you have a personal testimony of the Lord, of the risen Lord? Do you serve the Messiah? Even if you've wandered away from him. If you hear his voice today, he's saying, do not be afraid. He can renew your faith, your hope, and your trust right here and now. You don't have to wait. Why is that important? Well, because of the next four verses. In verses 11 through 15, we have the report of the watch. In other words, back at the ranch, you know, the enemies at work at the same time. Jesus, uh, the angel, the disciples getting ready to gather with the Lord. Well, guess what's happening at the very same time in our world right now? Here we are gathered with the Lord. Now, when you go out there, guess what's happening? <laughs> back at the ranch, the enemy's hard at work. So it says, now while they were going, while the 
two ladies were going, at the same time the good news was being brought, the same time the gospel was being brought to his disciples, the enemy had his people on another mission. Some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priest all the things that had happened. Now they went back and they said, you are not going to believe what we just saw. We, the, Jesus is gone. He is re- just like he said. You know, if they had heard Jesus' predictions and he, they go before these chief priests, and what do they do? Instead of repenting and saying, oh my. I mean, would imagine how that would have been. If the Jewish leaders had come and repented of their sins and realized that this was the Messiah that they had crucified, imagine what that would have been like. But that wasn't going to be the case. Because once the enemy has a grip on a person's mind and their soul, and once they've decided to go that direction, only God's miracle can turn them around. I mean, they saw an angel, there was an earthquake, a heavy stone was rolled away, and the tomb was empty. And what do these guys do? They go back and they tell Jesus' enemy, the chief priests and the scribes, the elders. And so what did they do in verse 12? They assembled, and after they, you know, they, I mean, you could imagine the day, would you like to be a fly on the wall when those leaders got together? Could you imagine the damage control that they were going to have to deal with? I mean, come on. It says they assembled the elders and consulted together. And what they decided to do, they decided to use money and bribery. It says they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers. This was a new development, but their blind hatred gave way. It says they gave a large sum of money. Bribery. You know, if you want to get things done your way, money talks, right? Same then, same now. And then they said, here's, here's a bunch of cash, here's a bunch of money, but what you have to do is you have to tell others that his disciples came and they stole him away while we slept. You've got to buy into this life. You're going to take this bribe. They're going to spread the lie. When people are given over to their lust for power, the devil produces his worn out and limited playbook. In this case, it was a stupid lie wrapped in a big wad of cash. And they went further and they said, you know, apparently these soldiers, they're okay with the money, but they also, we need protection. Because we failed in our duty. We failed to uh, not allow Jesus' body to be taken out of this tomb. So they say in verse 14, And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will appease him and make you secure. Because they realized that the money would do them no good if they were dead. And so in verse 15, they took the money. They took the money. And they did as were instructed. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. So the same lie that the enemy tries to say today to those that say you don't need a Savior, or if there is a God, uh, you don't get to say so, but let's just for argument's sake, the agnostic argument, you don't get to declare any absolute truth, but maybe there is some, 
And maybe if there is a God, he grades on a sort of bell-shaped curve. You know, if you do enough good, you're going to get your way into heaven. Or maybe the enemy, the lie that says, no, I'm very religious. I'm, I'm righteous. In fact, I'm self-righteous. Maybe that's going to get me there. Those are lies that the enemy tells, and then we could go on and on. Just deny the truth will pay you enough to keep you quiet. But you and I need to remember, because our enemy is like a roaring lion. 1 Peter 5.8, he says, For you and I, that we are to be sober, we're to be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. You and I need to be reminded that we have scriptural facts about the resurrection, and we do this to combat the lies of the enemy. Even if it's just within our own heart and mind, our own doubt, or if it's to counter the lies that are out there that would say uh, Jesus was a good person, or Jesus didn't exist, or there's other ways, or all roads lead to heaven. No, no, no. In fact, from the time of Jesus' first appearance, as he met the two ladies as they left that we read about today, to his ascension into heaven, our scriptures record 11 other appearances of Jesus. I'm not going to go through them all today. But there were 11 appearances of Jesus seen by people after he was risen. And even after Jesus ascended into heaven, there were six more appearances recorded, mainly in the book of Acts. One to Stephen the martyr. Remember, he saw Jesus. Four by the Apostle Paul, recorded in the book of Acts as well. And finally, the 17th appearance of Jesus Christ was to the Apostle John at the beginning of the book of Revelation. So, 11 before his ascension and six more appearances of Jesus, all recorded in the Bible. All recorded for us. John Walvoord said this, he said, taken as a whole, the appearances are such varied in character and to so many people under so many different circumstances that the proof of the resurrection of Christ is as solid as any historical fact could be in the first century. So the resurrection for you and I as believers is, is proof. You know, just as the ladies saw, come and see the tomb. He is risen. He is not here. He is risen. The tomb is empty. But then we have the final part of Matthew's chapter. It's known as the Great Commission. In Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20, we read. Now it's been said that this is the page beyond where all other biographies end. Think about it. When you read somebody's biography and the end of their life and story, you don't see this page in a person's life. But in Jesus's, all other biographies end in this page. And here's what he said. Then the 11 disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. 
And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded to you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. So again, where are you with Jesus? May I ask a personal question from you, each of you here or those online. Do you join with the millions of others today and worship Him? Or do you doubt? If you call on Him, He will come closer, just as He did. He will speak to you. So I encourage you, and I challenge you, to do it today. Amen? Amen. Well, let's stand. Let's have the worship team come up. Let's close in prayer. Let's close with a song. Heavenly Father, we thank You once again. Oh, Lord. May we be refreshed and renewed in our faith. May You go before us, Lord, as You promised. May we be ready for what we will encounter this coming week, this coming afternoon even. Lord, we ask that You would bless our families, bless those that are traveling today, bring them uh, to and from safely, that we may be reunited with them soon. And Lord, we just ask that You would watch over us again. It's by Your strength and by Your grace that we move. It's by the hope that we have. As we close with this song, let us remember Your relationship with the Father and the And the reason that we have a relationship with the Father, Lord Jesus, is because of what you've done on our behalf. How we can run to the Father. How we can receive grace and love. Go before us now, Lord, as we conclude our service. We thank you once again for all that you do. We pray this now in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you for joining us today for Calvary Chapel Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us next week as we continue through the Bible, book by book, verse by verse, line by line. God bless.